Thanks so much for listening to the Idea Fountain. I'm Julie Pilot. You can always get more by checking out theideafountain.co or at the Idea Fountain on Instagram. Today, we're hanging with Peter Sims. This episode is titled Learn, but we also chat a lot about openness. End of last year, someone told me, you should meet my friend Peter. I think you guys have a lot in common. We talked, and instantly, I got a lifelong friend and also someone who would introduce me to about 50 friends this year. And ultimately, Peter also helped me knock something off my bucket list that I've been procrastinating on for 20 years. We'll kick it off in Los Angeles with a deep bench of great friends at my house for another episode of the Idea Fountain. I-D-E-A-F-O-U-N-E-A-I-N This is the Idea Fountain. Life-changing conversations. Thanks so much for coming. My favorite part about having these talks is really having a bunch of people over in my house. And um, when I start, I really like to bring everybody into the room. It's pretty amazing, guys. This is the... 10th episode of the Idea Fountain, and we're taping it on 1010. It's funny, the uh, last episode I taped with um, a philosopher and a professor named David Kim, and I don't know if it's because there was a teacher in the room, but I asked everybody to introduce themselves so we could like bring them into the circle. And everybody sounded like they were like showing up for uh, class, like Peter Sims, present. You know, everybody used their full name. Um, it doesn't have to be that formal, but uh, um, well, actually, I would love everybody just to say their name, and if they're in the back, shout it loud enough so we can hear it. But uh, you want to kick it off, buddy? Oh, I'm Forrest. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Maya Jupiter. Lori Richard. <laughs> Julia. Lorna Montalvo. Beata. Scotty. Oh, I'm Jessica. I'm Mike. I'm Amy. Carly. Mark de Jesus. From <laughs> Ava. Margo. Alex. Um, it's pretty incredible. Uh, this, uh, it, this episode, we have people that have flown in both from New York and Paris. I mean, setting records. Um, and I would like to introduce our guest, Peter Sims. Now, it's funny because we were actually talking about airports earlier and airport lines. Um, and I'm curious, you travel all over the world. When you go through customs and fill out the little form and it says, what's your profession? What do you put? Mm. I mean, you have to write something. I've written radio programmer for 20 years. You have to write something. I just write Peter Sims. I mean, I, I don't remember writing a profession, to be honest with really? you. Really? Yeah. Um, if I were to describe you, I would say author entrepreneur, uh, founder, what else? Dad? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, there's a... I, I, think about, I think about when we first connected. Yeah. And you, I remember some, a mutual friend introduced us, and then you called me from your cell, and it was 206. I distinctly remember seeing the 206. I was like, wait a second, she's in LA, but this is 206. And I don't know if you remember this, but I... The first thing I asked you was like, I do know. <laughs> you remember that? Like, I picked up the phone and he goes, 206, do you like Macklemore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we just talked about Macklemore. I mean, it was just, That's incredible. You said, yeah. but you actually said, oh, so we're going to go there. Yeah. Um, well, and, um... <laughs> and we did, and it was great. And it was like, that was just. It felt very natural, you know, just like, let's talk about Macklemore. And you, we had a good riff on it. And Well, and that's a good point, because there will be a grand finale of every single month when I do an interview, I interview somebody that has changed my life. And it's pretty incredible that we first started talking in December. We just met in January, but there was a moment this year that definitely 
changed my life. Uh, how often, though, do you, in a week, have those by-chance encounters where somebody says, oh, you got to talk to so-and-so, oh, you got to connect with this person, kind of like we connected? Mm, I'd say, I don't know, a few times a week, probably. And um, it it can kind of be like a bad blind date, right? Like constantly connected with people. It that's I just go go where you want to go with it. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I know you have a reason for saying that. So well, I'm just interested in kind of your philosophy because it really leads into the book you wrote, Little Bets, right? About getting out to meet different people. And connect, and you never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, will you talk a little bit about that yeah. in relation to yeah. your book? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, just to take one small step to the side, just like I never knew that I was as creative as I now am when I was young, and so to be creative, it requires to be really open, really open to experience, really open to people the open interaction so it's you never know when you're going to meet someone like when we met or it's going to lead to all kinds of interesting learnings and collaborations and getting shit done and everything else so you always have to be open to the idea that the person you're going to sit across the taxi you know, sit next to in a in a random setting is going to be somebody who you know can teach you something or that you can contribute something to that will be very important right and so but on the other hand you also have to protect yourself from the many incoming things that are going to come your way when you have, you know, a, a platform or a position to, to be able to make things happen. So it's, it's, a, it's a constant struggle, but I err on the side of openness. And so, I mean, just, just from this week, you know, I, I can think of, you know, three or four examples of being, where being open exposed me to something that was something I wouldn't have anticipated or that opened up new horizons. And on the other hand, there were a couple things that I probably should just say no, no to, you know, so it's this constant struggle. And how do you find yourself navigating that balance? Trusting intuition, I think is the key. And just, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of like a really specific example from this week. I mean, so I went out on a date last night and we, I know this woman, she's really cool. She's a very talented person. i I've spent, um, you know, probably three or four interactions with her in the past. And so we got to talking about life and it was, it was just interesting to see like where that conversation went because, you know, she is somebody who I think could do pretty much anything. And we ended up talking a lot about like her car and how she was having problems with her car. And I was just thinking about telling her like, why are you so worried about this car she she has a good job she can not worry about her car and she it could just open up like a lot of time and energy to just go out and invent a life that is possible if she's not just dwelling so much on things like this the situation that she's now in a lawsuit around that she you know so it's like situations like that happen all the time where you just you kind of i step back and i say god she could live the dream if she weren't so focused on problems if she were just thinking about solutions it would it would change everything um so i th- those are like the little types of anecdotes that happen a lot so we met in january so far so good uh as we were having lunch uh something that's never happened to me before happened Here, I've worked for 15 years mentoring kids in a place called home in South Central. And I always tell people about mentoring. There's not a fairy godmother that comes down and says, I will be your mentor. You can get mentors from so many different places in life. There's so many people that I consider mentors that don't even know my they're my mentors or we haven't even met. And I have relationships with people I know I mentor, but it doesn't have to be an official partnership. And for the first time ever where we were sitting at lunch and Peter said, Julie, I think I could mentor you. <laughs> and I had that very godmother moment. And I was like, okay, but then he said, and I think you could mentor me. Mm-hmm. How's it working yeah, out that, for you? It's, <laughs> so far, so good, yeah. No, so, uh, 
that was interesting because I had never that never happened before. I just sort of felt like, well, I love music, I love culture, I don't know it nearly as well as you, and yet you were interested in Fortune 500 in like entrepreneurship. And I said, so look here, let's just strike a deal. Let's say I would love to contribute to you by sharing with you what I know about this world that I'm in and these circles that I'm in. And, you know, I'm really interested to know about culture. And after that conversation where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm in, let's do it. Then like two days later, you wrote that long email with all the culture leaders and all the culture insight. And I was, I was like, wow, she's really in it. Like you're, 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 you have that generous spirit. So I knew when you wrote that email that like this had real potential because sometimes you have conversations with people and say, look, let's, let's conspire, let's do something. And it doesn't actually lead to anything meaningful because there's not a generosity of spirit. So that you had that generosity of spirit was to me, the big signal that like this has potential to, to lead to good things long-term. I love that generosity of spirit. It's another good t-shirt. Yeah. Well, you have it in spades and, and it's very rare. And I think when you find that in people where it's genuine, it's like cherish that and hold on to that for dear life, which is kind of how I felt with you. And then, you know, it's led to all kinds of things like, you know, you being on the board of the foundation and everything else. And, and hopefully you being exposed to a lot through parliament and black sheep that is opening new horizons for you because then it's, it's very generative. The relationship then becomes very generative and we get shit done. And, you know, what, what more do you need in life than, than relationships like that? I mean. Absolutely. And I have been exposed to so much. And before we dig in on exactly what Parliament and Black Sheep both do, you were talking about being exposed to Fortune 500 companies and um, kind of getting outside of the music industry bubble. You wrote an article that I really enjoyed called Horizontal Power and about how everything is changing. Yeah. Like, will you summarize that? that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I, I accidentally became an author. I wrote, I co-authored a book out of business school after I'd been a venture capital investor. And then I wrote a book on my own little bets that took me into this world of Fortune 500. And as Lorna knows, wherever Lorna is, I got to know Beth Comstock well when she was CMO at GE. And she's kind of an amazing, incredible person who was in this position at GE where she went out and got to know a whole bunch of different types of people, whether they were working in the grassroots of Louisville or in Silicon Valley. She had this massive curiosity that took her uh, to learn from as many different types of people as possible. And what she would do is take that. And so I was invited to be a part of GE's Innovation Advisory Board by Beth after she read the book and we got to know each other well. And she just had this ability to get shit done inside GE and in a a remarkable way. She became vice chair of the company. Um, And then she also had this power outside of GE to kind of learn what's happening in the world and make things happen in a very collaborative way with, with people, literally hundreds and hundreds of people like, like me or like you or people in this room who could be people she could either learn with or collaborate with or, or make things happen. So that's where the kind of concept of this horizontal power for me came from was seeing that ability to kind of make things happen in a world where you can very quickly connect with people across many different walks of life and get shit done. And that was a very empowering idea. And it became a core principle of this company, Parliament, because, you know, I mean, I think we all want to be able to have the ability to influence and get things done and and work with like-minded people. And we are living in an age where we can easily meet, connect with, and build really meaningful bonds with people who have are coming at problems from many different walks of life and who need to be in community and need to be in relationship with with people from outside their vein to be able to uh to be able to make the most of their potential so that's the inspiration for it well and what i took from it too is the old model is there was a CEO in their office saying, I'm brilliant and I've created the strategy for the next three years. And that's the old school model. And the new school model is to get out of the office and go talk to different artists or different your competitors or different people because you never know where that inspiration will come from. And that's the real power. And the power comes from community. Comes from community, comes from 
having a different mindset, right? The mindset of the past is I'm the head of this and therefore I have power. The mindset of today is I'm a human being who has a certain set of values, who has a certain set of things that I want to see happen in the world. And I'm going to reach out and find co-conspirators who can make shit happen with me. And my leadership or my, you know, my passion, my authenticity can connect with other people in a very non-hierarchical way to get shit done. I had the coolest experience yesterday. Um, Lori and I both went to a Billboard Women in Music lunch. And um, the chairman of Billboard had to step down uh, this year because of some allegations. And uh, they were talking about change in the industry and what they could do better. Um, covering women's issues and this woman who I don't even know but I'll give her a shout out her name's Carrie apparently she works at Live Nation I don't know if anybody else knows her (laughs) I'm gonna track her down Um, she raised her hand and Billboard every single year has this power issue and there's all these men that run record labels and concert promoters in there and she said I think you need to redefine your definition of power Mm. and I was like I'm in Mm. I don't know you on Mm. the way out I ordered a lift but I found out she knew Ian Rogers I'm tracking her down (laughs) (laughs) data points yeah that Again, redefining yeah. that definition of power. And yeah. I, don't, I don't even know where to start. Where do you think it starts? Well, I think what comes to mind, I mean, I've not really thought deeply about this, but is that, you know, we have, when you have hierarchical organizational power, somebody's CEO, somebody's president, they have resources, they get to allocate resources, they get to decide who gets what role and what job. That's one form of power. When I was in business school, that's what was taught to me. I studied under the premier expert on power who taught that form of power. And I sat in the front row of that class and disagreed with everything he said on a regular basis. And by the way, he's a good friend, Jeff Pfeffer, because it's not the same as influence. Influence to me is much more of a, of a feminine notion, to be honest with you. It's like more of like, okay, if you are able to collaborate well, if you're able to work in relationship well with a bunch of different type of people across a bunch of different domains, and you're able to galvanize resources, insight, um, towards to get something done, that's very powerful. So I'm trying to think of like a, a very timely example would be like one of the things we're working on within parliament is an initiative around mental health. So the way this initiative has gotten germinated is that we have within parliament 30 companies that pay us to be members of this company and they get seats at the table. So one of the companies is SAP. The CEO of SAP is at the table with us. He it's a 90,000 person organization. This is What's old power. SAP? SAP is a software company. Okay. That is like um, one of the two big enterprise software companies selling to, to major My companies. My son, his boyfriend, chiming in, it's yeah. huge. <laughs> it's a, it's a $100, $150 billion company. So, so he's there at the table with us, and he says, I think we, at Parliament we should go after mental health. Okay, great. So it's, it's from, an, from a big company standpoint, it's interesting, but also from a pop culture standpoint, it's interesting. What you guys are doing with mental health is interesting. It beats one. What Chance the Rapper and his crew are doing with mental health is interesting. It's bubbling up in the culture. So if you want to really like actually move culture, you have to work across these many different domains to get that conversation moving. And it's going to take a whole family of people who say, yeah, I can relate to that. Either I or somebody in my family has mental health. So... The point is, is that you can't just use this top-down power to get something like that done. You have to be working across many different domains. And you have to understand what people really in their hearts care about. It's a very different form of power than the power I studied when I was in business school. So I think we might be speeding a little bit, but because I want you to tell the story about you went to business school, you were a boss in the game, you had a job, you were extremely successful, you were living in Paris, right? London. London. Oh. You're in Close. Paris? Who's in Paris? I live in Paris. Oh, okay. But I'm from just north of London. Oh, okay. Where whereabouts? Oh, right. Well, I mean, you know, we'll get back to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love all the places around London. Focus. Yeah. <laughs> Who is she? New power. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we? But 
you were living in London, boss in the game, extremely successful, also miserable. Yeah, I mean, I was working in venture capital at the time, and I got the chance to move to London for a couple of years, and I worked really hard. I had an amazing experience being just in London because I grew up in a small town in, in Northern California, so it was like my chance to see the world, but I was, I was physically unable to get up in the morning because I had been working so much. I, I kind of burned out. Well, and a lot of people, when they're having that success and they're so driven to work hard, uh, get to a point where it's nearly impossible to rip off the Band-Aid and say, I'm going to do something else. How do you get to that point? And then how did you get to Parliament? Oh, wow, that's did a I big s- question. Skip a few steps there. Um, I think we all know when we're in situations where it's just not us. And I knew it. And it was my body telling me this is this is not you it's just you need to do something else I don't know I didn't know what it was it was confusing at the time I was I was full of fear because I was successful in conventional terms but I knew it wasn't me and so I had to go on a journey to figure that out and the hardest thing about that was I thought it would take two years to end up taking a lot longer and it was it was excruciating at times to kind of discover, I mean, that I was, for example, that I was an artist. I didn't realize that at the time. I didn't realize I had a creative side at all. So I had to go through all that. And the books were ways of kind of discovering those those aspects of who I was. And then I got to the other side of all that and I there was no company I could work for. So I had to create a company that was <laughs> had the right culture and the right role for me. So... Well, and you talked a little bit about Parliament being a membership mm-hmm. company, but elaborate on that. Yeah, so what the company today is, the, the very short version of it, of that I, when people ask me what the company is, I always tell the story, uh, which is that, you know, I found this company in Pixar that was the place that I was always looking for. And it was this place that, I don't know if people here have been to Pixar before, but it's this place where... There's this deep humanity that runs through the culture. I mean, they're in the business of telling these very human stories. So you go to the building and it's like, this is the building that Steve Jobs created and it's light and it's airy and people are laughing. It's like, they're all having an amazing freaking time. And I would love to work at Pixar, but I'm not an animator. So then it was like, well, how do you create a, a culture that's like that. And at Pixar, they call people the black sheep who are the artists who think differently, who have a different way of solving problems. So I was so inspired by Pixar and so inspired by this notion of black sheep that I just made hats and t-shirts for my friends that said black sheep. And this was about six years ago. And the crazy thing was everyone wanted one of these hats and t-shirts everywhere I went, including Beth Comstock, you know, I was in New York and, and spending time with her and Wendy Cobb and all these people in the middle of the grassroots. So there was something powerful there. And today, Parliament is the black sheep of the Fortune 500. They're the people who are the, they're the artists inside their organizations who want desperately to be the change makers, but they feel very alone in the conventional system. And they feel constantly like they're getting grinded to the ground by the by the short-termism of the the market system that we have today. And so they need community. They need places they can go to experiment. They need places they can go to co-conspire and to be able to get shit done that's meaningful. So we are a place, a platform for them to be able to do that. And they do that in community with a bunch of entrepreneurs, a bunch of artists, um, including many people in this room, where they can very quickly learn where things are going and and join forces with others to to make shit happen. I love that because um, you're sitting in a room with mostly really creative people, right? And you're talking about the Fortune 500 companies taking a beating and facing disruption. And definitely from our perspective, people get so excited about digital companies or yeah, I have a friend that just went to go work for Bird, the scooter company, and everybody's so excited Great about company. that. And um, big fan. At the same time, we were, out, we were out on a bird today. I believe for for quite a while. <laughs> um, 
And I even had my own judgment and biases when you first started talking to me. Peter would call me up and say, I want you to meet these people from Walmart. I want you to meet these people from Goldman Sachs. And <laughs> That's a very rare exception, by the way. That is not something I ever anticipated saying. But the, the current CEO of Goldman Sachs is a DJ, as a, as a Nightlights is a DJ. I haven't even met him, but he seems like he has potential to be a black sheep. So, yeah, I that's mean, a positive thing. In. Okay, no, to be but, fair, I mean, it was such an eye opener for me um, as a creative person, where I normally wouldn't be drawn to the people that work at Home Depot or Lowe's. Not that there's anything against them, but it's just outside Beth, Beth my and beyond. Yeah, it's outside of my <laughs> bubble. But then when you get together and you have these conversations, we're more alike than. I would have ever thought. Why and are you so judgmental, Julie? I mean, jeez. I'm a hater. You're a hater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. But, I mean, talk about some of the people in Parliament that inspire you and maybe where there's still a lot of power in these iconic industries. I mean, look, there are amazing people everywhere. That's the thing. There are amazing people everywhere, and they feel alone. And they feel like they're fighting a good fight. Stacy Tank at Home Depot. You know, I mean, it's not, she's a star there. She's, she ran the foundation. She, she's a protege of Beth's. I mean, she is somebody who has a heart of gold. She wants to use that platform to make impact. So, and you know, you're at Disney. Like there are a lot of great people at Disney. It's the system that is the problem, in my opinion. Like we as entrepreneurs, we're, we're incented to go out and create things and invent things. And it's a beautiful thing that we live in a market where, if you invent a company, you get rewarded for it. That doesn't exist in other parts of the world nearly as much. It's, it's a beautiful thing about American entrepreneurship. But then we have, a, we have a public market system where people get rewarded for creating short-term gains and for pumping up stock price. And you have pe- lots of people inside that system who think that's kind of bullshit and who think that there's a real need to innovate and to do things differently and to use that platform to try to touch touch a lot of lives and those are the people we're drawn to those would be the kind of quote unquote black sheep of the fortune 500 well and let's dig in more on the black sheep contingency and how you've been building that base over the last few years okay well i mean <laughs> uh so again your definition of black sheep yeah so the black sheep values are look first no assholes no assholes. And I want to dwell on that and just like put a like a really firm point on that. I because think I we just all saw let's nine just people all, join. Yeah. This is like everybody feels that, right? I mean, so that's a big deal. We never work with assholes. I mean, I interacted with two assholes last year and it was at dinners like that I was invited to. I was just like I was surprised that like I was sitting next to an asshole. Um <laughs> True. What really pushes your button? Where you're like, this guy's got to go. It or wasn't. This it wasn't. Go. This person wasn't in our community. I was at. I was at a dinner where I was seated next to this person. He's actually a very well-known person. And I sat down and I thought, wow, we're gonna have a lot to talk about because he's really passionate about something that I'm passionate about, which is echo chambers. He's my girlfriend at the time was his interior designer. And like, there was another thing I thought, well, we're just going to hit it off. This is going to be easy. And he was such a dick and I just couldn't believe it. He's, I was like, look, like I was like, uh, my girlfriend's your interior designer. He's like, well, I work with some architectural firm. I was like, well, okay. And then I said, uh, you know, echo chambers is something we're working on at parliament. We're doing all these things. He's like, look, man, I'm just so tired. I just, I can't talk about it. And I just, I was like amazed that this was happening. So that doesn't happen inside our community. It's more like, you know, the people we're, we, we pick and that we're drawn to are very generous. They're extremely interested in collaboration. They're curious people. These are basic creative values that I'm listing, very basic. But then they want to get shit done. And so therefore, we, we are so focused on that that that's the culture. And so then when they meet each other outside the context of a gathering that we do, they, they have high trust. They become friends. You know, they end up doing lots of cool things together, like you having David here or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to see. And the challenge is, is just maintaining that integrity of culture. Yeah. 
And when you talk about echo chambers, you've actually done a lot of work to get out to all parts of the country. Um, how did you come up with the idea of the bus tour and talk about how the experience went both times? Yeah. So we have two parts. We have a company and then we have a foundation. And the foundation is the Black Sheep Foundation. And through the Black Sheep Foundation, we do things like a podcast and we do things like bus tours around the country where we have, uh, we, we rent one of Willie Nelson Band's old tour buses and we go through the middle of the country and we reach out to people in different communities who are what we would deem black sheep. They're people who are kind of the creative types or the entrepreneurial types or the educators who are thinking differently. And we get kind of taken through these different communities by what we call shepherds. These are kind of like the local super connectors. And we do a lot of storytelling and we do a lot of just listening. And then we try to find ways to, to do co-conspiracies and to try to lift voices that are important voices that may not be heard. So this is a great, for us, it's, it's, it's always been the passion. Like the business is a means to an end. Like if I look back on what my life is, I want to touch people in the trenches who are making an impact because I think that's really what, you know, a lot of people in this room are doing that type of work, but you have to have a platform to be able to do that. You have to have a, you have to have resources to be able to do that. And so the business allows us to do that. And, you know, every once in a while, um, you know, we are able to interact with somebody who just completely blossoms and then emerges onto the national stage and, and then it acts as a role model to a lot of other people. And, and you've seen some of that. From I mean, you have to tell the story about Danny. Oh, Danny McGinnis. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, so in 2015, we went on our first of these bus tours, and it was, uh, we went to 21 places in, I don't know, a few weeks, three weeks. It was too much. Um, but one of the places we went was Ferguson. And so this was nine months after the upheaval there. And we were just going around town, listening to people, following um, some of our guides who were local guides. We were outside a church and we met a young guy who was at the time 19. And he was, he was just sitting. I can picture him clearly sitting on this sidewalk. And he just raised his hand and said, I'm a black sheep. And <laughs> so we started talking. And he just described how he was... Um, it, what it was like to have the tanks come into town. And like, it was just very visceral kind of moment for me just to put myself in his shoes and imagine what it'd be like to be 19 and seeing all this happening in, in this town. And, and he said, you know, I'm also, I'm also somebody who's an aspiring artist and he showed us his wallet. He didn't have any money. He was, I, you know, it turns out he was homeless for a long time. And, but there was something so compelling about him. So we, got a lot of audio with him and just listened, listened, listened and became friends with him on Facebook. And then I guess it was at the beginning of this year. It's amazing how fast these things happen. But beginning of this year, he was live painting. To Selection, by the way. He only live paints to Selection. <laughs> he's a huge, he's a huge uh, Beats fan. Um, but yeah, so he was live painting and there were like, like, you know, you can see how many people are watching. It was like a few eyeballs. Three, I think it was like three eyeballs and just like, oh my God, he's amazing. And I just, I'm not obviously an artist, but just check with a few people and they're like, yeah, he's, he's the real, real deal. And so we started talking and, you know, it turns out he's just a complete protege. He's 22 now. And he, to make a very long story short, there are a few things like he's studying at the San Francisco Art Institute on full ride. Kehende Wiley, the, the, the famous American painter who did the Obama portrait is his mentor now. Uh, he has reams of fans inside of the black sheep community who are buying his art, including you. Thank you yeah. for doing that. Just got to figure and, out how to get it here from San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure that problem out. But uh, he's basically just uh, his life is completely transformed. Well, now so. he's living in San Francisco on scholarship. Yeah. Incredible. Full scholarship. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was talking to Danny about Ferguson, he said the hardest part or one of the hardest parts was the way the media was portraying it like they were burning down their own city. And he was talking about how people 
knew that things were going down, so they came in from all over to cause a ruckus. And he looked at me and he said, they burnt down Little Caesars. Do you think we would burn down somewhere that has pizza for $5? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's a compelling point. (laughs) But, I mean, Danny's just one of 50 people I've met through Black Sheep that... Mm. um, you know, again, have gotten to be friends and are inspiring on a lot of levels. If um, somebody is in a situation, uh, whether they're at their job, a part of the country, or in their family where they do feel like a black sheep and they just don't fit in, it doesn't seem like the job description fits them. They're not sure what their path is because a lot of jobs now, we're doing things that have never been done before. We're Lewis and Clarking our way through. 2018 is pretty wild. What advice would you have for people just trying to figure it out? Well, community is crucial, right? I mean, that's like, you're, and you're, the, you're one of the best of this, of anybody I know. And the people here are all lucky to know you because if you have a tribe and you're not alone in that journey, and it's so empowering. I mean, you are kind of what you eat. And so, you know, one, one aspiration that we have this year with Black Sheep is we're trying to build local communities where we're just one of the things we're, we spoke about today with the team is just small groups. If you can have a group of five or six people that can be that you can be open with, that you can share your the struggle with, that you can share your vulnerabilities with, uh, it makes a huge difference. And so, you know, hopefully we can start to reach people who are on that feeling alone on that journey because it's once that shifts, everything changes, right? I mean, I think I, I would think you would agree with that. Well, yeah. And speaking of reaching people, earlier this year. Peter, well, Peter and I were talking about all the connections they have through Black Sheep and Parliament, and something really struck me. So um, I started working in radio when I was 14, and I did it all through high school and college. I started out at the University of Washington, and then um, the station I was working at bought stations in Arizona. And I was like, wait a minute. I could go to school, have a pool outside my dorm, and have a job, see ya. <laughs> and I transferred. And when I was a kid going to ASU, my dream job, the job I thought I would aspire in my entire career, was um, to be a music director and on-air at a radio station. And um, that was offered to me in my junior year. I actually turned it down once because I wanted to stay in school And at the end of the semester, things had changed in leadership at my station, to say it nicely. And I uh, ended up quitting and going back to take the job. And so I never finished school. And um, ASU announced a couple years ago that they were revolutionizing their online learning. And they partnered with Starbucks and Howard Schultz. And now, if you work at a Starbucks, you can go finish your education at ASU. I think Oprah talked about it. And I was like, oh, let me call, figure this out. And just with being busy, I made a call. The person I talked to had no clue how to find my transcripts from 1998. And I shelved it. (laughs) So I'm hanging out with Peter, and he's whiteboarding all the... Uh, Parliament and Black Sheep connections. And he's like, oh, we do work with Pepsi and Pixar and Goldman Sachs and ASU. And I was like, yo, who do you know at ASU? And flash forward a month later, I'm having breakfast with President Crow from ASU in Santa Monica. He pushes me to the front of the VIP line. I'm back in college. I mean, here's the plan. You guys can clap when I graduate. Uh, But there is an official plan. Uh, I think I'll wrap up next summer. And there will be a party called We're Gonna Party Like It's 1999. Because that's when I was supposed to graduate. That's awesome. Um, But thank you for that. When when that came, you asked me about that. I was like, it was in that split second. I just knew. I I had this feeling like, okay, I I know exactly what's going to happen here. And it was just like, she's going to meet Crow. He's going to invite her into the program. And the only question I had was whether you were going to be a trustee first or a graduate first. (laughs) Seriously. Like, that was the only question I had. Like, I knew that this was just going to 
be magic so well so far so good i finished my first sprint i got two a's the second sprint actually starts today and i actually conned profit into going to asu too so he's in also (laughs) julian's on deck um i i love the collaborations though and i think it's remarkable and a lot of people would connect with this will you tell uh the story about giving tuesday yeah definitely um you, you were taking me down a different path with some of the stuff you were saying about ASU, but I'll switch to Giving Tuesday. I went left on you? Yeah. I mean, you know, we can... I thought we, we were going to stay in the right side of our hemisphere of the brain here. I mean, this. if there's something else you want to add, feel free. No, I'll, uh, maybe, maybe at the end. Uh, so Giving Tuesday, I'll just share that story quickly. Um, yeah, so I was in Brazil, and this guy came... I was there when I was with working on my last book, I was speaking in Brazil, which is an amazing privilege. And this guy came up to me. He's like, look, we have this idea for a day of giving after Thanksgiving and, and, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, a day of giving, giving Tuesday. And it just immediately, I was like, oh, it's great. That's a great idea. And he said, we want the black sheep to get involved. So what they needed was just help kind of taking this germ of an idea and, and, and populating it. So you know, Henry Timms had the original idea. He's an amazing guy. And we, with the Black Sheep, kind of came in and said, look, we will help get this idea moving. And so we got a bunch of people behind it, whether they were in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of Louisville or in the White House. They got the White House endorsement through a Black Sheep who was working at the White House. Uh, we got GE to sponsor it. Um, and it was just to take it to the UK all through the Black Sheep as well. Um, and which has become a huge thing. So, you know, last year, I think Giving Tuesday raised a billion dollars. And, and, and it was just this small group of misfits who believed in this idea. It was six people who just believed in this idea. And, and the interesting thing is, it is true, the first year, people thought we were fucking crazy. Like, it was like, the guy in the White House was like, why are you working with Tim's? Like, wh-? And I was like, he's amazing. He's, you know, but it was like all these little fights that had to be fought. And it is rewarding to look back. And it's now like a complete Grand Slam social movement. Um, but it shows the power of a small group of people who have belief in an idea. Well, and I love how revolutionary the combination between black sheep and parliament is that you can have a collective that comes up with an idea and then shoot it out of a cannon with these companies like GE. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works. Uh, you know, but to me, at the individual level, so if you want to accomplish change, it's important to start organizations. It's important to be a part of organizations because the platforms are so vast. But it's the individual level that's the most inspiring. And I think what you were getting at with the ASU story is, to me, what I think Black Sheep is all about, which is that we all have inside us this potential that we don't realize. And we all have this creativity. We all have this, these zones of genius that we don't realize. If I look back 10 years, I wouldn't have known five things that I could do very well uh, until kind of getting feedback from people like Henry or Tom Rath or you or whatever to help me understand where I can make contributions. And I think that's really what the world needs is for us all to kind of unlock and flower that humanity, that creativity, that artistry that we all have within us that is often dormant. And it's just often just an unfulfilled potential until we get with the right crew. You know, so that's my dream is to be a part of that movement. You know, that reminds me a lot of a term that's really near and dear to my heart, uh, Sawabona. And it's from the mentoring that uh, a lot of us have done. Um, it's a gift-centered approach. Um, the term Sawabona is a Zulu phrase, which means I see you. Mm-hmm. So many um, people in society are never seen. Mm-hmm. They're watched, mm-hmm. um, especially kids, but they're right. not seen. Yeah. And um, so the mentoring program that we've done for years kicks off every session by saying Sawabona. And all the kids say, Yabo Sabona, which means I see you seeing me. It was all fun and games until I flew for the first time to Africa on a 22-hour flight, land in South Africa, throw down my passport, and the guy says, Salabona! I knew I was going to have the trip of a lifetime. But my point is, it's about seeing those gifts and those talents in other people. There's a lot of power in that. There is, because I don't think we can see it on our own. And that's the thing. Like if, If somebody's not reflecting back to us, then we won't be able to unlock that our own zones of genius, our own 
powers of creativity or artistry. And we won't be able to, if we're not conscious of the importance of doing that for others, then we won't do our job. You know, we won't actually kind of, every interaction we have, we have a chance to change a life, really. I mean, and I feel that more than ever this year. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. But it's because we all have so much to give. We all have so much to contribute to other people. That's why we're here, right? I mean, and so, you know, what you do, Julie, is a constant inspiration because it's like we, we're getting into, like, we're here in this room. We're all so fortunate. We all have so much, but it's like the real work is outside of this, you know, and so that's the longer term journey. So uh, before we take some questions from our live studio audience, uh, what else do you want people to know about? What are you excited about? What's coming up? How do people get involved? I mean, great. I I think that um, the people in this room are all people who are doing it like this is in the, the your audience i think are all very engaged in doing it i think um you know what i'd hope is just that people if people leave this conversation with one thing it's like what can i do in every conversation to be not just advancing my own agenda but like making a contribution that is beyond like me like how can you channel your intuition to like not just be promoting you know, your own agenda, but like this something that's, 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 that, that's being channeled through your intuition to help contribute to other people. Yeah. And you can learn in every moment too. Yeah. For sure. I have a story. Mike Chester was there. Um, I got, and everybody right now is hating on him and groaning and like can't deal. But um, Kanye yelled at me once. And we were in the studio, and we got to hear um, one of his albums. It was brilliant. And we listened to the whole thing start to finish, and then it ended. And there was like 10 people there, and he said, do you have any questions? And we were all just soaking in the moment, and nobody had any questions. And so he yelled at us. And he said, you just heard this brilliant album and you don't have a question? What if you're in the room with Marvin Gaye and you didn't ask a question? Then he died. You'd be like, damn it, I never asked a question. And in that moment, I thought, "Wow!" I thought, no, I, I had that moment. And I have a lot of forgiveness for Kanye. I thought I could, you know, say this is Kanye being Kanye. Or mm. what in this moment could I actually learn? And I came up with a couple questions and he had brilliant answers. Mm. And so I think what you're saying about mm. in that moment, what mm -hmm. can I give? What can yeah. I learn? Um, there's really something to that. It's there if we're just listening to our intuition. I think we're connected to something way larger. And it's you hear it sometimes in whispers, but it's, if you're just you just hear the voice and you probably did right in that moment, you just heard like, this is what I should throw out there. And I would love to know what you did throw out there because I feel like you're leaving us hanging. Oh. <laughs> well, I, um, I asked two questions. One, I asked, he kept saying, um, you know, I hate to say this. I'm the worst with album titles, especially since all of his have to do with college. It was the one with the, uh, that John Bryan produced and... Yeah, late registration, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, he kept saying that, you know, he had written this song five years ago and he um, wrote more songs with this person but was going to save them for other albums. And uh, I asked him, it seems like you have a lot of patience. If you're saving songs from projects or you wrote something a long time ago, there's so many rappers out there that um, have no patience. They drop one record on SoundCloud and feel like they're bigger than Tupac, right? And so I asked him where he found that patience. And that might have been the only question I asked him, but he gave me two answers. And one was, he said that when he makes an album, um, nobody's just one thing. He said that when you think about rappers at the time, he said Common's the smart rapper, LL Cool J's the sexy guy, you know, um, and uh, DMX is the hard rapper. He's like, but everybody has different sides of their personality. So when I make a body of work, I want to show all of who I truly am. Mm -hmm. 
And then he also said that he doesn't look at the charts and say he wants to make the best record because he knows he can do that. He wants to look at the history of music and find mentors and inspiration and say, how can I find something that I'm as proud of as Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life? Mm. And to think about pushing yourself to that limit, mm -hmm. not just what's going on in the office mm -hmm. or what's going in the marketplace, but who artistically do you admire? You know, I really believe a lot of artists are genius and crazy. And so, like I said, I have a lot mm -hmm. of forgiveness for Kanye. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you. Well, on that point, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> I will start. All right, Scotty. So, I, I came as a fan, and he knows this. So, uh, what I loved in discovering Little Bats is that you went out and collected wisdom in a way that I wish I could have accessed great CEOs, great companies, etc. Now I'm fascinated to find what you may have learned from anyone in this journey around the Midwest that doesn't carry the CEO or the COO title. And then maybe is there a book that will be culled from that? But is, is there a wisdom that you carry around? Of course. That you Always. Your share. Go to your notes and any quotes you may have written down. I mean... I would just say to that very broad question, thank you for asking, very broad question, um, <laughs> which are not the easiest questions. Well, I mean, when I was on the, the bus tour this year, we did another one this year, I was sitting in the back of this bus, which is like an old Willie Nelson band tour bus, and I'm there by myself just chilling, looking out on the American like landscape going by, and it just struck me that... America is so fucking big and it's so complex. You can't put people into red and blue. It's just the only way to really understand America. And I've spent a lot of time out in America is to understand humanity. Humanity is very complex. It's very nuanced. It has lots. And so we spend a lot of time looking at people in America with these boxes, these abstractions and it's a marketing type mindset when I think the magic happens when you start from the inside. So a very specific example would be we were in Western Pennsylvania and, you know, on our bus is like a group of misfits, of course. And Harold O'Neill, who I think, you know, Julie, pianist raised in, in uh, Kansas City. Um, kind of on the other side of the tracks in Kansas City, who's one of the top pianists in America today, been compared to Duke Ellington by the New York Times and everything else. Sitting across the table from Rusty Justice from Appalachia, and he's telling us these stories like, you know, the difference between a redneck and a hillbilly? Well, rednecks have very high confidence and very low self-awareness, and hillbillies have very high self-awareness and low self-confidence. And, you know, you're just like, okay, I didn't think of it that way before, but that's interesting. And then he turns to Harold and he says, look, Harold, you grew up in, on the other side of the tracks in Kansas City, and I grew up in hillbilly country, and you and I have a lot in common because we both feel disrespected by the culture. We both feel like we don't fit in. We both feel like, and Harold just starts nodding slowly and then more and more and more. And their inner journey of being Americans is so similar if they actually connect on that level that it brings them together. Now, politically, we're those guys are on different sides of the fence and they're they're taught to fight each other tribally. So I don't know how that changes, but I just know that if you actually get out in the country, the story is a lot better than if you watch MSNBC or CNN or Fox News. It's bullshit. And so I would love to be a part of whatever anybody in here has an idea to like stop that because it's a very negative drain on our country and our consciousness all the time. I think that's great. Awesome. Uh, My um, fellow classmate, Prophet. Um, three tactical tips for, two part question. Three tactical tips for Podcast listeners of the idea fountain uh, that want to break out of the cocoon and become black sheep. And then, if you could put a message on a billboard, what would it be? Wow, a two part Ooh. question. I'll start with, with the second part. Answers <laughs> <first>. <laughs> Just quick tips. 
I always tell people, so many people ask me for advice on different things, and I always say the same thing. It's very simple. The billboard would be, be you, period. Like, just be you. And so the, the, the first part of, like, how does one become a, you know, how does one start to find their creative or artist side? I mean, I just think it's so important who you spend time with. We are who we eat. And like when I got out of business school, I didn't spend time with MBAs. I hung out with artists and it made, or entrepreneurs and it made all the difference. I could think in a completely different way because I wasn't going around looking at like apartments that, you know, real estate or thinking about money. I wasn't in that mode. And so it allowed me to kind of create something that's completely unique and a dream. You know, I have, I live the dream every day. So that would be one, um, we will, through Black Sheep, have a way of people plugging in because everybody's a black sheep. Everybody can be a black sheep. There's no, this is not like something that's just the purview of a chosen few. We all have an inner artist. It's just that we're not taught that in our education system. And then that'd be the final thing I'd say is like, we need to have an educational system that is not so regimented and so, you know, bureaucratic and, and forcing us to test, to test the test all the time. And, you know, instead teaching us how to be curious and how to find our intrinsic interests and curiosities and passions from an early stage. And that'll be a big part of the work going forward. It's interesting. I mean, we're in L.A. I don't know how many people in this room are struggling to find their inner artist. What is kind of the reverse of that? Like, how would you describe how you help me? What do you mean? I mean, I'm surrounded by creativity oh, every see. single day. I'm in my <laughs> bubble, right? Like, I, um, yeah. I think about a conversation we were having about somebody in the music industry discussing presidential candidates, right? And you're like, wait a minute, this person's so in the bubble. Well, look, I think that artists need to hang out with business people just as business people need to hang out with artists. I mean, that's one thing that it's been fun about um, getting to know Allo. I mean, just like he's a he's a great artist and he's also a very natural entrepreneur in many ways, but he also needs to be around people who have a business savvy. And I mean, Harold hangs out with Rick Kirkland from McKinsey. Rick Kirkland needs to unlock his creativity. Harold needs to figure out how to be a businessman. He needs, you know, he needs to figure out how to monetize his work. So I think relationships are the key to that. And, you know, recognizing that we all have something to give to other people may be the greatest secret, right? That Harold, by virtue of him being an artist and a creative with such insight and energy can be so valuable to somebody like Rick Kirkland at McKinsey, who's working in a consulting firm, but is a guitar player at night. Rick needs to be around people like Harold. Harold needs to be around people like Rick because of the the symbiotic relationship and so how do you get into relationships that are nurturing and teaching us you know in, in totally new ways it's kind of do what we did said i'll i'll offer to i want to learn about what you're up to you want to learn about what i'm up to let's uh let's let's like set an agreement like i think that's not a bad idea yeah and like you said be open and be you So it's interesting to hear, and I love connections because that's my favorite thing, and also having a tribe that inspires you. What do you do when you realize you need to disconnect? And you need, how do you set the boundaries in a way that's just professional other than just ghosting on someone? Or just, do you have advice in that area? Good question. It depends on the nature of the interaction. I mean, it really does. I mean, if it's somebody I'm dating, I'll just be very transparent. I'll just be like, look, I just don't think we're a match. Um, if it's somebody who is a part of the black sheep community and there's just like a disconnect, I'm very direct. You know, it's just direct being direct and transparent is always the key. Um, but you know what's happened and I try to keep a low profile. I mean, I don't do many of these types of things, but if people do reach out and want something, I just, I don't, I don't respond because, you know, I'm not transactional. So I have very, I have no transactional relationships to speak of. And I mean, that's something that I recognize as a, is a luxury, a deep luxury, but I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. 
Thanks so much for hanging out. I know you're going to get mobbed as soon as we uh, wrap, but uh, I, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for coming. Thank I'm honored. you. I'm honored. So Congratulations much. on ASU. I know. Will you come back I for mean, the graduation the, party? I think this whole group should be at, this should be the starting point of the party to celebrate that. I mean, if it, we're going to party like it's 1999 and you wear an iconic yeah. 90s outfit. Yeah. Where, where, where will that take place? I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to imagine. I'll it, probably but. do it here. At the house. Like all day affair. People come and go. There's an early crowd. There's a late crowd. Wow. <laughs> Julie goes big, huh? You'd have to have definitely have Mike Chester there. He'll wear a kangle. <laughs> yeah, Fubu and a kangle. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you. Oh, likewise, completely. And Everyone thanks everybody here. for hanging out with Peter Sims. Yeah. Thank you.